Welcome to the CDH Podcast Conversations channel. I'm Megan Rogers, a director at Cliff Decker of Attorneys and the head of the oil and gas sector. Joining me today is Nick DeBlock, the CEO of Kinetico Energy. Nick, thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, Megan. It's always nice to chat with you. Appreciate you taking the time as well. Thank you so much. Good to have you, Nick. For those of you who might not be aware, Kinetico Energy is listed on the Australian Stock Exchange and it focuses on onshore gas exploration in South Africa. They have been exploring for the last few years and they have recently announced that a reassessment of their multi-block resources revealed a midpoint or 2C contingent resource of around 6 trillion cubic feet of gas. And in subsequent to this, Kinetico announced a further partnership with the IBC into what could potentially become the largest onshore LNG project in South Africa. Now, Nick, you've described this as one of the most significant and exciting moments in Kinetico's corporate journey in South Africa to date. Tell us a little bit about this journey that led to these discoveries. Megan, it's important to note that this is not a, an overnight success. You know, this is, Well, it's an overnight success 13 years in the making, if you like. It's just only recently been, been noticed in many quarters. The journey started a long time ago when our petroleum geologist figured out you know, that there had to be gas present in this part of Mpumalanga and put together the wherewithal to prove his theory. The, the, the company that was formed then found uh, Kinetico, and Kinetico has evolved into the operator of the three blocks that we have under exploration rights, we being ER-270 near Newcastle, 271 kind of between Forksrist and, and north of Amersfoort, and then 272 on the doorstep of Secunda. So, you know, we've been an exploration company for that long, along with some, some years of a bit of stagnation. But more recently, we have been putting holes in the ground frantically. We now have 40 boreholes that we can speak of across the three blocks. And the significant part of that is that we have 40 discoveries. There are, well, 40 gas strikes, can we say, in approving the consistent geology of that area. It's all gassy. We haven't yet missed a borehole finding gas. I'm not sure that there's an analogy anywhere on the planet, you know, that can keep up with that kind of success rate. So, you know, the more holes that we put in the ground, the more we've been able to extend the fairways, the proven fairways. And this has led to us being able to have the resources recertified by a sprule recently, and at the same time, they provided us with our maiden reserve report. It's confused a few people, however, that the, the timing, I apologize for that. The reserve uh, certification is fixed on a pinprick on the map. It's a tiny little area outside of Amersfoort where we're planning our first production project. It's got the scope of about uh, 30 wells, and we will be providing gas to maybe three small cryo boxes, but when I say small, I mean 5,000 ton per annum um, LNG cryo boxes in the field. What we've extended our relationship with the, with the IDC to include is a much larger production concept further to the south in the same block. But the resource itself is absolutely substantial. When you consider a 2C of 6 TCF, that's trillion cubic feet, being a contingent resource, uh, the new rules for reporting this, Megan, Sprawlers had to comply with the legislation that, that the previous uh, certifier did not have to. So our previous 4.9 TCF was a contingent resource over the entire three-block area, whereas now we are limited to only reporting on where holes are drilled in the ground. You know, we have actually proven gas to be. So that uptick of over 20% to 6 TCF 
is substantial because it's on lesser geography. And everything within our rights areas outside of where we've been drilling is certified as prospective. In other words, we have a, a 2U in the background of very close to the same number, 5.8. And as we put holes in the ground, we turn the prospective resource into a contingent resource. And then as we show the commerciality of the production projects on the surface, the contingent resource turns into reserves. And that's the journey we're on right now. Thanks, Nick. And what is the development concept? You spoke a little bit about that earlier, but what does the actual development concept and commercial off-take-up will look like from both a Connecticut and IDC perspective? Yeah, what we put together with the IDC you know, conceptually is a development project that considers a well field of about 100 to 120 wells. Let's call that first little pinprick on the map that I mentioned, let's call that an SPV zero or a joint venture zero. It is disassociated with the step up in production planning that we have with our partners, the IDC. Further south in the same block 271, the SPV-1, therefore, considers the drilling of, of at least 100 or so wells, feeding to a 50 megawatt equivalent midfield, midstream, if you like, production solution that could be LNG. If it's LNG, it, could, it would be about 60,000 tons per annum. It could equally be injection to the Lilly pipeline, which runs right through our properties. It could be two fuels, but uh, let's just call it 50 megawatt equivalent for the time being. The extension of that then allows us to multiply that by 10 times. So, you know, a hundred, a hundred well field could become a thousand, providing to 500 megawatt equivalent in the field. And eventually the long-term framework is being set up to multiply that again by three times. So perhaps a 1.5 gigawatt equivalent is on the table for producing over about a 20-year period, uh, and it will consume about two TCF of that gas. So there's still a lot to go around, obviously. Yes, and of course, this comes at an opportune time, Nick, when there's been a depletion of gas reserves relevant to the Moss gas project and the Pandan Tameni gas fields in Mozambique. Are these potential off-takers to the project, Nick? Yes, that's a good point. Uh, the sad reality is that the entire country is facing a gas cliff. The only gas we have in the country right now, all of it is supplied by Sassel out of their onshore fields around Panditamani, Inesoro area near Vilankulos, onshore uh, Mozambique. It comes down the Ronco line into Sassel, uh, into Secunda, where, where Sassel has their sin fuels and other plants, and um, is reticulated from there to various markets in the, the greater Gauteng and, and, and Sasselberg area for chemicals, etc., in the same plant, of course, they are the world champion at call to liquids. There's nobody quite does it quite, you know, like uh, like Sassel, but they need to be on a path to clean up that process uh, a little bit more environmentally friendly. And the only way to do that is with gas. So the fields in Mozambique have been producing now for, for just about two decades and they've done very well. But there comes a time in the life of a gas field or an oil field where it starts to deplete. And we're facing that depletion Right now, um, it's already probably peaked over. I think their peak production was in about 2017 or 18, but we're heading towards uh, an inverse exponential curve on that, uh, on that production. I certainly hope they have more success in further exploration and development in that area, you know, to support the, uh, the, the, the gas stream into the Ronco line. But they have issued their off-takers down that Lily line, you know, with notices of non-guarantee of gas, you know, within about three years or so. So they're, they're naturally nervous, and, and we are obviously talking to some of them. They've, they've been in touch with us in terms of our resource and how we can help them to survive into the future as the consumers of gas in their thermal industries. If you know the geography of our rights areas, 272 is up in the north and bordering onto Secunda, so 
the natural off-taker for any gas coming out of that part of the geography is going to be Sassel. We are, of course, talking to them. I can't detail any discussion at the moment, but the table for production at the moment is absolutely clean. There are a lot of players around the table. There's a lot of hands up for the gas for various reasons. And you're perfectly correct. We live in an energy paucity at the moment in South Africa. And anything that anybody can add, obviously, to this pie plate of need has to be welcome. And the size of our resource means that we could become a substantial part solution to the energy poverty in this country, you know, whether it be via thermal industry or fuels or, or indeed gas to power. The table is open and, uh, you know, we, we're, going to be, we're going to be forming plans as we go forward. We can only talk about megawatt equivalents right now in terms of production. Thanks, Nick. I think that sort of what listeners would want to know about relative to sort of the sustainability elements or environmental sustainability of the project would probably relate to what gas extraction techniques you would be deploying and specifically what the probability of groundwater contamination, given that the project is onshore, what the probability of groundwater contamination would be during your extraction and production processes. So maybe if you can talk us through having it. Indeed, and, and the answer is actually quite easy. I know what drives the question because people are, are still a little fearful of uh, a technique called hydraulic stimulation which uh, the world knows as fracking. And uh, unfortunately, the antagonists have managed to persuade the world that this is a bad thing. It's not. I'm one of very few South Africans that can put up their hands and say they've done it, and they've done it perfectly cleanly. I know the technique for fracking. There is no threat to the groundwater. Less so even in our case. We are not fracking. We have shallow sediments. You know, our wells, are, are, they literally lie between only about 300 and 600 meters, Megan. Whereas the shales of the Karoo that require hydraulic stimulation lie between three and a half and four and a half thousand meters. So th- th- there's a huge difference in the geology and the need for techniques like that to get the gas flowing. We, we have absolutely no requirement whatsoever for fracking where we are. And the farmers retrieve their water from boreholes on their properties that go down, I could be open to correction, I don't know, 60, 70, 80 meters maybe, whereas we'll be extracting groundwater from hundreds of meters down, but definitely not thousands. So we're getting water out of the same matrix that the gas comes out of. We'll have to put uh, submersible pumps in all of these these boreholes, all of these wells, to dewater the, um, the, the well bores and give the gas the best chance it has to flow unchoked to the surface, but it all comes out of exactly the same ground, you know, so water comes up not through the production pipeline like the gas, but through water hoses from the pumps. So the pumps go to the bottom of the wells, we pump the water out, it has absolutely no chance whatsoever of, of contaminating any other groundwater, and by the time the gas comes through the igneous layers of dolerite on top of the sediments, the, the, the entire section is cased and cemented, so it's all very well protected. There's no chance at all that any contamination of agricultural water or anything that's extracted from those kind of shallow depths can be possibly uh, contaminated. On the contrary, the water that we produce is only saline. It's just a bit salty. There's no nasties in it at all. And we can treat that water at surface to any levels, uh, whether it be for agriculture, in other words, irrigation or or stock consumption, and all the way up to EPA potable quality, where, where one could even consider beneficiation by bottling. Uh, or supplying to local communities uh, and or agriculture at the top, you know. So the extraction of water in this case is actually a very good thing. We live in this conundrum at the moment, don't we, where there are many environmental organizations that are dead set against carbon-based fuels, but then 
notably the International Energy Agency, has said to us that Africa accounts for less than 3% of the world's energy-related CO2 emissions, and it's the lowest emitter per capita. But on the opposite end of those stats, we have about 43% of the population. That's about 600 million people that still lack access to energy, electricity specifically. And it seems that we will see this energy deficit grow as our population growth outpaces access to energy. So Kinetico describes itself as a company which is seeking to develop a cleaner energy transition solution for South Africa. How does gas achieve this ambition and aid South Africa in a net zero result? I suppose the first question is, does it at all? You know, in my mind, I have to categorize the, I'm going to call it the, the, the green approach in three separate categories. So one is the genuine environmentalist, the person who has the environment at heart, and I fit myself into that category. I'm an environmentalist. The second is an environmentalist who is ill-informed and perhaps a little naive uh, and ignorant in terms of the science of energy. And the third category, unfortunately, is a little more treacherous. And, and these are individuals who, as far as I'm concerned, have taken the 30 pieces of foreign silver in order to create hurdles for the development of developing countries. They've chosen South Africa as a battleground because we are the closest to being developed. And we present a threat, perhaps, to the developed countries who are very happy to take our resources and do the manufacturing there. Should a developing country become developed, they, pre they present a, a level of competition for that. And I honestly believe that there are movements in South Africa among the NGOs that are, are being paid to create hurdles in that regard. To the environment, the want-to-be environmentalists who are perhaps a little bit naive or ignorant about the science of energy, well, that's our fault. We should have communicated better. The true environmentalists who actually understand what we're doing are no doubt going to support and applaud what we're doing. If you get in the way of gas becoming a substantial part of the energy future in South Africa, you are by default supporting coal and heavy fuel oil and diesel. In other words, you're supporting the pollutive parts of, of fossil fuel. Burning gas is completely non-pollutive. You don't get sulfur dioxides and, and nitrogen oxides and soot and ash by burning gas. It is a clean burner. You can halve the carbon output. In fact, I said to a, a, a different media the other day, if, if you imagine a fairy godmother, Megan, arrived overnight, just let's dream for a moment, waved a magic wand and we woke up tomorrow and all the coal and heavy fuel oils and diesel that we're currently using for various energy purposes was suddenly gas. We would oversubscribe our COP obligation both now and forever and, and the world would look at us uh, as a template of how to do it. You know, therefore, and there's a big mathematical therefore, any molecule we can produce out of a gas well has to, absolutely has to be a very good idea and a cleaner and greener idea. I can't put it more plainly than that. You know, a true environmentalist will come sit on the table with me on my side and we'll have to then, you know, collectively face down those standing in the way of doing it more cleanly and help them to understand that they support pollution by not supporting gas. Thank you so much, Link, for your time today and for explaining your project to us. It was certainly very insightful. We wish Kinetico good speed as it develops this important project. Thank you very much, Megan. It's been lovely to chat with you. The views and information expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily present those of the firm. All content is provided for general purposes only and does not constitute legal advice. 
We make no representations, warranties or guarantees, whether expressed or implied, that the content on our podcast is accurate, complete, up-to-date or reflects the current law. We accept no responsibility for any loss or damage, whether direct or consequential, arising from reliance on the information which is presented here.